This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific. Thermo Fisher's cell therapy processing instruments are designed to help customers transition from process development to commercial manufacturing, utilized as standalone devices or integrated as part of a closed modular process. Thermo Fisher Scientific recommends Gibco CTS DynaSelect Magnetic Separation System, which is a next-gen cell isolation and activation instrument. Gibco CTS Xenon Electroporation System allows customers full control to optimize for a variety of cell types and payloads. And Gibco CTS Rotea Counterflow Centrifugation System is a closed cell processing system supporting a broad range of protocols for cell separation, washing, and concentration. Customers can rely on and streamline their drug development process with Applied Biosystems Qualtrac qPCR and dPCR quality control tools for robust and reliable genetic analysis across various phases of drug development, supported by relevant, compliant documentation. listeners and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene the Podcast. I'm your host Aaron Harris and my guest for this episode is Andy Rammelmeyer, EVP Head of Technical Operations at Sangamo Therapeutics, a biotech based in Brisbane, California that applies cell and gene therapy to combat hemophilia A and other genetic diseases. So Andy, thank you so much for your time. I'm thrilled you're here with us. Yeah, great, Aaron. Um, uh, great to be talking to you. Absolutely. So, all right, let's jump right in. Now, a few years ago, Singamo built its own phase one, two CGMP AAV in-house facility, manufacturing facility. So that's a big deal. And we want to break this down as to, you know, the why behind it, the successes, all of that. What, let's start off with this though. What drove the decision to build, say versus buy? Well, a lot, a lot of that just comes due to the complexity of our products. Now I'll, I'll talk about AAV, but we also have cell, cellular products as well, and they're very difficult to make. And we've found that we have better control of cost, schedule, and quality when you have your own facility, particularly at the early, early phase, phases. Uh, that's when our processes and our analytics are not entirely robust. And at TOX and phase one, two manufacturing, we may need to make some changes read, readily. And it's important to have our, our experts close to the manufacturing space. And, uh, and, that's, uh, and that's absolutely key. Okay, good, good. Um... And now I would say that the key is building that facility close to our development labs. And in Brisbane, the main manufacturing facilities on the first floor and development labs are on the fifth floor. While in Valbonne, France, and that's where our cell therapy facility is, our manufacturing space is just across the street from the development labs. Okay, excellent. So certainly proximity, geographic proximity matters quite a bit. Um, now, you, of course, you mentioned cost, resources, what other what other major considerations did you have when building the facility? Well, given that this is, uh, you know, again, I was talking about uh, these are early phase. We the process is still being uh, developed, and uh, 
So it's really important that you have these facilities as flexible as possible. So our rooms have no fixed equipment. Essentially, they're small ballrooms with utility panels to hook up the necessary equipment for a ma certain manufacturing camp uh, campaign. We rely heavily on disposables. So we cut, cut our, uh, down our wide water use and also the need for equipment for cleaning and sterilization, which adds cost and also makes the facility a little bit less flexible. And I, I do think that this design had helped us make a, a, a change that hap happened after we, we actually designed it and start to build the facility. We had a fill finish suite. We decided uh, since the, the air quality for a fill finish suite is very similar to a open processing cell therapy suite, we needed that functionality. We didn't have it in because it was designed for AUV, but we were able to move uh, that uh, area, make it a cell therapy suite. It's a very similar uh, uh, footprint, but the equipment's different. But it's just in the end, cell therapy actually is mainly all benchtop equipment, and we're able to get that in pretty uh, easily. And then what we did is moved our fill finish operators using um, isolator technology to another suite that had lower air quality requirements. So again, we've already able to see that the, the advantages of that flexibility to allow us to make these changes. Good, good. Okay. Um, let's expand on that a little bit more with where we are today. So that decision to build your own facility, how has it affected the company's ability to move forward from whether it's, you know, cell therapies, gene therapies from early stage to actually delivering treatments? Well, we are, it is early in uh, the process here and it's early stage. It takes a while to get from, from phase one, two to phase three and commercial. But I will say that we saw an immediate impact with uh, building this facility. We had some troubles with one of our products at, at our CMO. And then we decided uh, and that's where we basically converted our fill finish suite to uh, cell therapy. We transferred a process to that new uh, space in Brisbane. And we were able to do that in 15 months. What, well, actually what we were able to do in 15 months was what our CMO could not do in over uh, two years trying. And that's to produce three batches in a row at, at high dose. Uh, so in the end, we are able to do the things that, you know, having our experts close to this process. I mean, tell you the truth, one of the issues with early stage at CMOs is you can't, they don't want you to have your experts in there tinkering while they were doing, while you're doing a process and to be able to highlight and manage issues uh, so closely. And in the end, it's really important you have actually as part of your manufacturing team, your 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 experts, right? And you need them close. And we saw that value uh, just with uh, this first campaign in our Brisbane facility. Gotcha. Okay. So 
Um, that's actually what I wanted to talk through next, a little bit more of the specific challenges you needed to overcome. So certainly it sounds like when you were working with the CMO, one of the things that would have did hinder you was the fact that they weren't allowing your experts to be part of the, part of the, the whole operation. So, <clears throat> excuse me, what are some of the other manufacturing challenges you needed to overcome as you built your facility? I mean, the biggest challenge, in, and that's actually the same issue, probably the biggest issue that a CMO has is, is hiring and retaining talent. Once you get the right people and, and they are trained and able to do the operation, when it's a very complex operation, particularly for cell therapy, uh, you don't want to lose them. So it's very important to tra and train them. And that was one of the issues with the CMO was what we were having. Now, Brisbane is in the middle of the San Francisco Bay Area, right? And there are a lot of companies with similar needs, similar uh, staff, staffing needs. Now, that's great that you have a, that pool of people to hire, hire, but at the same time, on the flip side, we are also, um, you know, we, we could also have that issue where people will take our staff and often they will be wooed away with promotions and more pay, particularly in the Bay Area. And so we had to rely on other means to retain our ta talent. And I think our Collaborative culture was very good. We really care about our staff and have fabulous leadership. And I think overall, we have some really smart and resourceful people. But yeah, that's been the challenge. But I think we've uh, uh, had some issues uh, with that. But in the end, the last uh, uh, 18 months, uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, I think we're in a better, uh, definitely best, better place. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's definitely a topic we hear broadly, not just in manufacturing, but just in all of cell and gene therapy, the, um, the need to attract and retain top talent and how do you do that? And um, so, so certainly not something that we do, certainly something we hear quite often, uh, certainly in manufacturing, but specifically in, in terms of the whole sector as a whole. Um, now, speaking of the whole sector as a whole, uh, let's talk broadly about manufacturing. Uh, we know that the cost of manufacturing is, is very high, very staggering. From your perspective, you know, what are the top challenges when it comes to AAV manufacturing? How is it possible to drive down costs? Well, for AAV, bioreactor bio titer and final uh, product potency are key. And, and we do need to move from adherent to a suspension culture and develop high expressing cell lines. And the industry has used cell lines that require what we call transient transfection to make AAV. And that is inherently inefficient. I, ideally, we'd like to move to producer cell lines like used to make monoclonal antibodies from Cho, that's uh, Chinese hamster ovary, ovary cells. And that took time to develop that. And uh, part of the problem is you can't, I mean, it's very important that we move uh, quickly to our products and demonstrate uh, something that's of value, right? And then cell and gene therapy is very early. It takes 
years to develop a good producer cell line. And that that extra time, we just for a lot of the smart startup companies didn't can't afford that extra time. But it's something that will evolve over time. And I think eventually as we uh, get better at this, uh, there will be producer cell lines that will allow us to move these products uh, more readily and at lower costs into the clinic. And then the other thing is the more potent is your product, the lower the dose needed. And so obviously you want to you, you need to develop a, a as potent as a product as you can. We use SF9 insect cell culture, which is an inherently less potent than the human, uh, the ones that come from the uh, HEK293 and other systems. And uh, we'll, I'll talk about that, but in the end, we've uh, had to spend a fair amount of time to improve uh, our potency of our products, particularly the ones in SF9. Okay, sure. And feel free to continue to elaborate on that. You said you would continue to talk on that. Feel free to. Yeah, sure. No, well, in, in, so in terms of driving down those manufacturing costs, we certainly evaluated better cell lines. We're talking to other companies that uh, focus on that. Uh, we've also improved our product production product process, processes. And we've designed better constructs uh, using genetic engineering to make our AAVs uh, more, more potent and uh, had some success with that. And we're also looking at, you know, I mean, I, and I think there's a number of people in the industry that feel that, an, you know, making a AAV from a human cell line will eventually give you a better uh, uh, product. But the problem is, is the ATK293 has had challenges getting the, the amount of, uh, I mean, basically the titers are just very, very low. Uh, so you have this trade-off between having a very high, having a high uh, potent product, but then very low titers. At some point, then the, you might need, you know, so the issue is, is you want to reduce, as you guys know, one of the issues that we're concerned about is we don't want to have too much AAV. There's toxicity there. So finding that balance, uh, particularly, uh, I think it is going to be important as we drive to get a higher potency product, because then we don't want to have our titer as high. So that is something that uh, we're striving to do as well. And we're also looking at going back to um, a, uh, human cell lines uh, for that. But it will require a fair amount of effort to drive the the titers to get them up to the levels that we're seeing at say SF nine insect cell culture. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, any commentary though on just from a cell therapy perspective, manufacturing there? Is there anything we want to address? Yeah, obviously for autologous cell therapy, you have each run is for one patient. And that that one run could cost several hundred thousand dollars, right? And that is not feasible for our healthcare system. We need ways to address it. Um, we, um, you know, the key to doing that for autologous is to close and automate the process. And that way you can make more patient preps with this, within the same facility, the same space, and the same staff. Now, the holy grail for cell therapy is moving to allogeneic, where one batch can treat dozens or hundreds of patients. 
And we use our zinc fingers nucleases to edit cells to make them allogeneic. And we're very excited about uh, the prospect of, um, of getting to that point. Good. Okay. Um, so for the companies out there listening to this who are considering building their own in-house facility, what advice do you have for them? You know, they may not know what they don't know. What is their first move if they are struggling with cost or just any, any part of it? What would you say are the top tips, best practices for moving forward with even the consideration of building your own facility? Yeah, so for AV, you do need to have a path to move to a higher tighter, hopefully a suspension cell line. And ideally do that before you get to tox in phase one, two. You can make that change from phase one, two to phase three, but I tell you, it's getting harder uh, to make that switch from a comparability standpoint. So uh, from that end, obviously, and this is something even I know from my t uh, days working with Cho cell lines, right? It's basically, ideally, if you're going to make a cell line change, do that at fit before phase one, two. It just has a much uh, lower hurdle from a regulatory perspective. For cell therapies, you, know, you certainly need to have a path by phase three to move to a closed and automated system. Um, it is just, uh, it's challenging. It's going to be costful, costly uh, in the clinical phase just because getting slots at manufacturing at a CMO, you know, just to manufacture is going to be a couple of hundred thousand. Um, but you need to find a way to drive that down definitely for phase three commercial because uh, it, you know, in the end, it's, it's going to be harder uh, to justify uh, that cost, I think, long term. Definitely. It makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, we have reached the end of the formal end of our episode. And uh, at the end of every episode, I like to ask my guests who they are when we're not, when they aren't in the lab or the office to get a little bit of an idea of who they are. And so I know you're in the Bay Area and San Francisco and uh, just some ideas for someone who's never been there. Now, Golden Gate Bridge and Alcatraz Island aside, uh, you know, what would you say are the non-tourist stops that are a can't, definite can't miss for anyone visiting the San Francisco Bay Area? Well, I'm a advid, an avid uh, out, outdoorsman, and I'd kind of point to those places to visit. Uh, I'm actually a bay swimmer, uh, so I swim, and the water's like 50 degrees right now, so it's pretty cold, but uh once you get used to it, it's quite exhilarating. And I get a lot of enjoyment hanging out near Aquatic Park uh, next to Ghirardelli Square. Um, Hyde Street oh, sure. Pier has several older and massive sailing boats. The Balclutha at the end of Hyde Street Pier is, is definitely a sight to see. Uh, definitely sights to, to see. I also live in Marin County and I mountain bike above the Golden Gate. Uh, and from there, you have a beautiful view of the city and the Golden Gate. You know, so going up there, even without a mountain bike, it's pretty spectacular. And I also uh, do a fair amount of uh, hiking and biking near Mount Tam. 
And it's just the most spectacular scenery there. And Marin is where mountain biking was first development, uh, first developed. And um, yeah, it's just, like I said, it's an amazing uh, fire trail trails and people can rent b- bikes to go up there. It's, uh, it's amazing. And also I'd encourage anyone to hike in Muir uh, Woods. There's a national park there. Nice, nice. That's quite a fun fact too about the, uh, the biking that it was originated there in that area. That's very neat. How often do you swim? Uh, I'm in the pool a couple of times a week and in the bay a couple of times a week, but it is one of my main, it keeps me, definitely keeps me sane. Right. I I always say that the, the mental health, uh, benefits are equally, if not even better than the physical health benefits when, uh, whether you're biking or swimming in the bay or, you know, any, any form of fresh air will, will do it for sure. Yeah, no, it's in this industry where you're under a fair amount of uh, uh, pressure. It's good to have stress. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. That's quite a breakdown of all the things to do if you're in the Bay Area or plan to visit it anytime soon. So thank you. All right, that's it for this episode of Selling Gene, the podcast. Thanks again to Sangamo's Andy Rammelmeyer for his time and insight. Andy, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Thank you. Be sure to visit Sell and Gene regularly, subscribe to this podcast, and share it with your colleagues. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon.